we are back. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to What a Movie, a nostalgia-infused podcast. We are your hosts. I'm James Ferrero. And I'm Nicole Knutson. And it's been a little bit of a hiatus for us recording episodes. It'll be the exact same amount of time that you are accustomed to waiting, dear listener. Um, but it's been about two and a half weeks since we last recorded our uh, uh, an episode, which was Fern Gully, which was very fun and very exciting. For those of you doing the math at home, we will want to see your work when all this is done. <laughs> How are we doing today? We're doing good. I mean, I can only speak for myself, I guess. Uh, I'm doing good. Um... I just uh, went into an in-person callback recently and actually just got cast in a play coming up as an alternate for someone who is missing a show, which is very exciting. I haven't been on stage in a long time due to the events of the last year and a half or so. So it's very exciting to... um, to have something like that to look forward to again. So, uh, and in person and on a stage in front of people. So I'm very excited about that. Yay! And for oh. those of you in Los Angeles who want to come see it, uh, you don't have to come see it just when I'm doing it. Go see the show in general. Um, it's with Toil and Trouble Burlesque, and they're doing King Lear. That's right. It's a burlesque <laughs> Lear, and I am so excited to see what this is all about. Um, but yeah, go check it out. Awesome. Yay, theater. <laughs> How about you? How you doing? How am I doing today? I'm very tired. Work has been... It went from having very little to do on a regular basis, and now there is too much to do uh-huh. all at once. You know, for a good reason. We were prepping to... Um, I, Dear listener, I work at a performing arts center, which, as I'm sure you can imagine, has been an adventure in the last year and a half. But we are gearing up to reopen again, and my department was short-staffed before we went into the pandemic, and we are even more short-staffed now, so that's been fun. Um, but uh, anyway, completely changing topics, um, if our release schedule continues as it has been, this episode will be dropping on my 30th birthday, so happy birthday from current me to future me. Happy future birthday to the 30-year-old. And uh, to my 20s, thank you for your service, but don't let the door hit you on the way out. I think we both um, I think we both left our 20s in a similar way. Um, for for, ref- for reference sake, everyone, I am 31, and I had the very same sentiment when I turned 30, I was ready to say goodbye to my 20s, and that was that. There were a lot of um, fun times in my 20s. There were a lot of not-so-fun times in my 20s. Uh, They ended on a high note, which was good, you know, not counting the very beginning of the pandemic, but uh, but they ended on a good note, so I was glad about that, but I was so happy to be in my 30s, and I am so happy to be in my 30s. Same. Same. Almost. In the so, future. So happy early birthday or current birthday to me, depending on when you're listening to this, or belated birthday I if you don't listen the exact you an date. Early birthday present. <laughs> I'm sorry. How dare you? I have a bubbly. Would you be interested in that? No. No. Well, all right. <laughs> I tried. Everyone, you 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 heard me. I tried. But anyway, enough about that. Uh, for the folks who didn't read the episode title, what movie are we watching today? We are going back in time to what I believe is the oldest movie that we've talked about so far from the year 1986, thereby predating both of us. We are talking about An American Tale. Not Five Will Goes West. I was about to be like, <laughs> Five Will Goes West. No. An American Tale. <laughs> Boom. And then you go, 
Oh, the serious one. Yes, the serious one, not the silly one. So, yes. Uh, so what are our nostalgic connections to... I almost did it too. Five will go, not Five will Goes West. <laughs> An American Tale, the end. That is the end of that sentence. I guess Five will would go... No, no, he goes... Not, wait, where they, how would they... How would they... No, I guess they would be going west, right? Five goes west to America from Russia? Or... I mean... Geographically speaking, you are correct. So technically, the Five Goes West <laughs> moniker is not incorrect for this movie, misguided as it might be. If that's what you think you're getting into, so the into. sequel should be called Five Goes More West. West. More goes Wester. What's west of Westeros? Ugh, we Sorry, don't talk about I, that. I, I had to. It was too easy. We don't speak of that. Um, Five is west of Westeros. <laughs> I'm going to go join him. <laughs> and then becomes the Game of Thrones American Tale crossover that no one asked for. But it's the it's the hero we didn't think we needed, but the one, or the one we don't deserve, or the one we need. Anyway, Nostalgic Connections. <laughs> ah, um, well, for me, Nostalgic Connection, uh, I remember watching this growing up, for sure. Uh, it was... I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it was the most popular movie in our household, but we did put it on. Like, I was familiar enough with it. Like, it was on enough. But it definitely always carried the burden um, sort of along, I would say, along with something like, say, The Secret of Nem, which is the same uh, director did that, as being a really fantastically made movie, but very dark and very moody and intense and, like, a real change of pace from what you would get from, like, most of the Disney movies. So, yeah, like, we would put it on always knowing, like, oh, yeah, this is, like, a heavier one, though. And so we would probably chase it with something lighter after that, um, which was much different. But, yeah, it was, uh, I wouldn't say it was, like, my favorite movie in the world, but I I knew it was good. Looking back on it now, and having not seen it in so long, and, and trying to remember it, I'm like, you know, this actually sounds like a pretty important, interesting, well-made film, if I remember correctly. We'll see if that holds up in court, um, but I'm very interested to revisit it now as an adult with a functioning brain and not the lizard brain of a seven-year-old. <laughs> so, I have only seen this movie once, and once? I I think I was in college. I was, oh, I was wow. an adult the first time I saw this. My, I was... <laughs> I was first introduced to Fievel Goes West. We have home video footage of me when I'm like two and the VHS of Fievel Goes West was like in my Easter basket. I thought you were going to say it was in your mouth for some reason. I I don't know why. (laughs) I mean, it probably also made its way into my mouth at some point. Um, So I I sort of came at this entire uh, intellectual property kind of backwards. I don't know why we didn't have the first one maybe it was just hard to find or maybe my parents didn't know that that Fievel Goes West was a sequel (laughs) um so it was like to the point where you know I feel like a lot of people in our generation and and like maybe a little older than us like grew up on this movie I remember being uh I did community theater in college or not college uh in high school surprise surprise and we were doing a mic check one day and someone started singing there are no cats in America uh for their (laughs) mic check and I I had no reference I was like what is that from and I was so confused and everyone kind of looked at me funny being like what do you mean you don't know this you don't know an American tale and I was like no it was from that point on Nicole was never looked at the same way again Uh, so it is very limited and it's also been you know 
at least a decade since I've seen it the one time. And I think I'm, I'm cautiously going to state that I will appreciate it far more than I did when I watched it as probably like an 18 or 19 year old. And for those of you listening, in case you don't know, um, if you haven't gathered this so far, Five Goes West, the sequel that came out after this in the early 90s, which I definitely remember watching a whole lot more too when I was a kid, much different vibe than this movie. That one definitely like goes more for like, it's definitely aimed at a younger audience. Like there's a lot more laughs and gags and, you know, things like that. And there's not as much of the the serious undertones of this movie, of what I can recall. So hence the big difference there. I also think nostalgic wise, my other connection to this movie was probably uh, as a young child growing up in Los Angeles and going to Universal Studios growing up, there used to be Fievel's Playland, I believe it was called, <laughs> um, which is about what is it sounded, you know, like slides and, you know, basically a an enlarged kids space area to run around and climb on things and have fun. Um, that was taken out some years ago when the Fievel property probably dried up and it was like, well, the kids today don't really know who that is. Um, See, that's what they need to do with Toontown in Disneyland. You would think so. Uh, whoever had sirens, uh, add that to your background noise bingo card. And for those of you who are wondering, if you're if you're sitting there and saying, like, I've been to Universal Studios, where the hell would that be, James, you filthy fucking liar? I will tell you. Um... <laughs> For those of you who remember, the uh, so it was eventually replaced with the much more enhanced and developed and mature Terminator 2 3D uh, show, mm. which I also remember going to after, like, when I got older, which was amazing, and I loved that show so much, and that is unfortunately no longer there, as it has now been replaced with the Minion Land whatever is there. It's a Minion ride. It's a Minion ride and a Minion, minion Land, cute. and, like, there's, like, a, there's, like, a like a water park there now. Yeah, it's like, yeah. Anywho, so for those of you following at home, that is where it used to be. So yeah, that's another connection that I had. Uh, so on a scale of one to 10, how well do we remember the plot? I would say I remember like maybe five, five and a half. I think for me, maybe a four. Okay. Four and a half. So I feel we can combine on this yeah, one. Yeah, it's close know. enough. And it's pretty straightforward as far as, like, the main thrust of the story mm-hmm. goes, from what I recall. Shall we just dive into it? Yeah. Of what we, we remember? <laughs> do we want to just, like, start from the beginning and kind of fill in as we go? Uh, I think so. Okay. Um, so we follow the Mouskowitz family, who are a family of Russian Jewish mice. Get it? Mouskowitz. Mm-hmm. And it is them immigrating into the United States and them passing through Ellis Island. And I think very early on, Fievel gets separated from his parents and sister. I have no proof of this, so I'm curious to see if this is correct. I feel that they're fleeing. It's, there's some, I I don't know the timeline of, of the Russian Revolution or any of that, but I feel there's like, there's some intense, like, political uprising going on that would, at the beginning which i think gets them out yeah. to get on the ship to leave if they're if in the animal world um that lines up with the russian revolution that would have been like the late 1910s i believe which i think does track yeah, yeah. it's it's meant to be set in the early 20th century mm-hmm. as we said five gets separated he is now um lost in a new city in a new country 
And oh, they're also fleeing. They're they're leaving Russia because they think that there are, hence the song, no cats in America. And surprise, surprise, to no one, there are cats <laughs> Sounds in like America. Sounds like a metaphor to me. Um, but yeah, they 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 arrive chasing the uh, mouse American dream. And it's not all it's cracked up to be. And Surprise, surprise. <laughs> and it, it's mostly about Fievel trying to find his family and his family trying to find him. And he befriends like a nice cat who's big and fat and orange and is voiced by some famous actor who I'm blanking on the name. I think that's Dom DeLuise. That's I it. Yeah. 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 Yeah, 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 totally. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's like his best friend, and then like he like I, I remember like he's he befriends like a bird who's like relentlessly optimistic, which reminds me so much of Thumbelina that I think about it. Oh, and there's also he befriends an Irish mouse named Bridget and an Italian mouse named Tony. <laughs> Oh, yes, an Italian-American mouse named Tony. The most, like, <laughs> stereotypical name for an Italian-American. <laughs> I love it. And, yeah, and it's like, and, and and he's Italian, but, like, he's definitely, like, from, you know, the Bronx. Because he has, like, a really, like, you know, over-the-top, like, hey, a little mouse shit, come with me. I'm going to teach you the ways of living on the street. I don't know. But there's that. And then there's, like, I just remember there's, like, a like a central antagonist who like is a cat who disguises himself as a rat in order to like lure in mice or something yeah it's just yeah like there's all Isn't that, that like he's that character is like kind of well it's obviously like the big bad or 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 I think he so, works yeah. for the big bad the big bad cat yeah <laughs> there is or he works for them the yeah i can't remember how that resolves but um but yeah, so they're all they're all in that together. There's a lot of musical numbers. Um, we keep, as I recall, it's like they make it so painful of every time Fievel and his family are so close to reuniting. It's literally like walking down the street and they're walking the other way, but someone turns the wrong way at the wrong time and they walk right by. And the audience is just there going, ah, ah why? So you just get to suffer yep. and watch that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, as I recall, everything ends happily and you know yeah they, they're reunited so that they can later go west yeah or wester west, more more west. westerer <laughs> we're going westerer worcestershire we're going to worcestershire that's what it was now we're just doing word association oh my god worcestershire <laughs> it was too easy i'm sorry i had to uh, oh, nostalgia infused grades anybody <laughs> Well, let's see here. Um, I'll give you a chance to recover. Uh, Nostalgia-infused grades. Uh, Like I said, I I remember this movie enough, and knowing it was good, if not necessarily being my favorite movie in the world. uh, But my nostalgic grade, in a nutshell, I'm going to give it a B. Solid B. I remember it being good. Um, I just don't have necessarily a super close association with it, like I do with a lot of other movies. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, it's B. Uh, I think I'm going to do not too far off from you. I'm going to give it a B minus because I, I came at it for the first time older than I know that you did. So I had at the time had a clearer picture and could, you know, judge it a little more accurately. And based on the fact that I have not watched it again since clearly it didn't instill any kind of like 
deep love at the time of my first watching, which is why it's not higher up in the Bs, even though I know it is a well-loved film and is, um, from what I can recall, critically acclaimed at the time, or at least, like, you know, appreciated for telling telling the the type of, you know, immigrant uh, immigrant story that it is. So B minus for me, and we're going to go from there. And now we're going to watch the movie. <gasps> exactly. So, um, um, I guess before we go any further, uh, would you like to tell the audience, will you be partaking in any beverages tonight to enjoy an American tale, Ms. Gnitzen? Um, I'm going to forego an alcoholic beverage because, as I said, I'm tired, y'all. There you go. Um... But we have some nice cold kombuchas, which will maybe have a a hint of caffeine in them and are cold and tasty. And it's very hot. So I'm going to have that. Mind you, these are not hard kombuchas, which as we were discussing earlier, (laughs) kombuchas are fermented, which means the alcohol is already there and they take them out for the usually consumed kombuchas like we have here tonight. Yeah. So really the kombucha, the hard kombuchas should just be called kombucha. And the kombucha kombuchas should be called virgin kombuchas. Or non-alcoholic kombucha. So we think that's the way to go but if anyway, you're listening out there. The, uh, for, hey, big kombucha. <laughs> but we do, but we have tried hard kombucha recently and it is really It is very good. tasty. But that is not what I will be having no. because I need to stay awake to because, watch this because, movie. Because, 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 because. Yes. What about you? Me? <laughs> well... Yes. Um, I'm a little loopy, folks. <laughs> yeah, this is, it's always fun. We, when we get a loopy Nicole on the podcast, it's always so exciting. I have such a blast with this. I I think I'm going to pour myself a little glass of whiskey. We still have some of the nice Crown Royal sitting around. And I feel that this movie deserves that. What better drink to have with you than some straight whiskey when watching a story about struggling immigrant mice in America? I say, arr. Arr? Also, also, um, also, we're going to both be cat-sitting next week for different cats. Yes. So this will be even better as this movie takes a very negative view of most cats. So I'm very curious about that. Because <laughs> we are, in case you haven't been able to tell, we're big cat people here. Big cat people. Yes. Alrighty, folks. Uh, if you have been listening along to all of the episodes, you know what comes next. If you are brand new, welcome. Hello. Uh, we are going to pause recording. We're going to go watch An American Tale. And we will be right back and we'll dig into whatever happens in this movie and give you a more accurate plot recap. So feel free to watch along with us or don't because, as I just said, we're going to go through the plot anyway. Alrighty, folks, we will be back momentarily. And there are cats in America. I beg to differ. We're rolling. Mark. Hello, I'm Sky, And I'm Ford. Together, we form the writing partnership of L. Skyford. We're excited to bring you Booklandia, a new podcast about books. On Booklandia, we review books, mostly. Honestly, mostly romance books. We'll occasionally discuss book topics, like our favorite and least favorite romance book tropes. Maybe one day I'll learn what a cinnamon roll is. Maybe. Perhaps we'll also dive into my psyche and why I hate the enemies to lovers trope and why it's such a popular one. Is it because you're a robot? Probably. We will absolutely spoil books for you. We will absolutely fucking curse. And you will leave each episode knowing just how sexy we thought each book was. Did it make us want to get naked? Maybe. I'm definitely naked. (laughs) Probably. So am I. So please join (laughs) us on Booklandia, (laughs) where each book is a whole world to explore. And... 
We're out. There are no cats in America? Except there definitely are. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. We've just finished uh, re-watching an American tale. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, so, so sad for so much of it. <laughs> it's so stressful and sad. It's... Like, sad with so, a capital sad. So... So sad. We will get into the details of why. The saddest little mouse that you have ever, ever seen. (laughs) Animated to look just so to pull at the heartstrings at every moment. And voice acted, I think, to perfection for that same purpose. (laughs) Yeah. Alrighty, shall we just dive in? Um, Oh, why not? There's so much to cover. Oh, my. So, we... As far as broad strokes of the plot, we remembered it. We there a lot of details that I certainly forgot. I did as well. Um, which we will get to in short order. Um, the first thing we were wrong about of the year that this takes place. Um, we thought it was like the early twentieth century. No, we opened in eighteen eighty five in what is it, Shostka, Russia. Mm-hmm. During Hanukkah, because remember they're Jewish, <laughs> but only for this one scene. Only for this one scene. Uh, yeah, the the Russian part of it tends to be the dominant. Well, there is a Moses factor. allegory later. Yes, which we will get to. Um, who wants to? Do you want to kick off? Well, so we the op- plot? sure. So we open on this home, the home of the Mas uh, and then there's a little door in the corner of the Mouskowitzes. Get it? So we meet our we meet our mice family. We meet Papa and Mama along with um, Tanya. Tanya. It was like it was like you know, she changed her name to Tilly later, but it's Tanya. Well, I was like, it is Tanya. Ellis yeah. Island changed her name to Tilly. Well, she asked though. She was just like, hey, I can change my name. No, Tilly. she asked, why did they change my name? Oh, I thought to she Tilly. said change my name to Tilly. No, she oh, asked Papa, why did they change my name to Tilly? I, was, I remember from the sequel it was Tanya, but I was like, it was Tilly, but now it's Tanya. Anywho, so we meet yeah. Tanya, the older sister, and we meet, there's also a young infant um, child there as well, and we meet Fievel, the younger brother mouse who's just precocious as all, all get out, and so, celebrating Hanukkah with their gifts. He receives his father's hat, which was his father's hat and his father's father's hat. It's been in the family for many mouse generations. And Tanya also gets a uh, a hat of sorts. She gets a little like headscarf. She gets her she gets her new babushka, as they say. <laughs> um, also, it's a it's a metaphor for the film. As Fievel puts it on, and it's obviously too big, and he's like, "It's too big." And then Mama's like, "You'll grow into it." So just keep that in mind. The hat is too big now, but just wait. And we get some uh, foreshadowing in the way of fairy tales mm-hmm. um, about, you know, just various stories that Papa has. Um, the giant fre- mouse of Minsk. Yes, which will absolutely come into play later. Of, you know, it's 1885. How else are you going to entertain, uh, entertain your children? So that leads into, as Mama correctly calls it, just another fairy tale 
the story of America and how there are no cats there. The streets are paved with cheese and there are no cats. Mm-hmm. Um, which, which which Papa is all in for. He has bought this hook, line, and sinker, tells his children this, much to Mama's chagrin of like... <clears throat> we are also introduced to, I guess, like a sort of tradition or superstition across mousedom in that you don't utter the word cat. Because I wrote down... Are cats Voldemort? They who must not be named? The Otherwise they will cat, appear? They just go, cat? Hmm. <laughs> there must be a mouse um, family to kill. Yeah, that is introduced as like a running thing of, uh, it's mostly just superstition, but if you say the word cat, they're going to appear. I guess it's like, you know. Um, Bloody Mary. Yeah, well, would be an equivalent. Like Bloody Mary or, you know. That type of thing of if if you say their name, they should appear. Or like Candyman or something. Yeah, exactly. Those types of things of summoning the devil. Um, And And guess what? It sort of is accurate because... Murder. um, Straight up murder. The the town in which they live uh, gets attacked by... The, someone the Cossacks I think because they're people going Cossacks it's the yeah Cossacks. and so the you have the the humans coming in and like raiding and pillaging and burning the town down there is and literally then, and then the cats come in and you know they're Russian cats because they have giant mustaches <laughs> and and little and little furry hats and little furry coats like they look like they look like they came straight out of the Nutcracker suite like they're gonna be doing the Russian dance a little bit but they're also demons from hell mm-hmm. apparently yes they um, they are just one of the first negative monsters cat, one of the first negative cat imageries in this movie and I was like oh yeah, I, I suppose. I did. From a mouse's perspective, I suppose it's how they Yeah, look. that was something that I noticed and I did appreciate from like a design perspective of like none of the cats, uh, apart from Tiger, who we mm-hmm. will get to, um, are designed to look particularly like cute or welcoming or inviting. They are designed to look monstrous. They either look shady as fuck. Or they look like freaking demon spawn. Yeah. Um, and this was something that I was noticing. I noticed a few parallels, um, not to go into this too much, but uh, D- uh, Don Bluth, who directed this, his previ- one of his previous movies was, I think, as I mentioned before, Secret of Nim, in which it's all told from these mice perspectives, and it's like the dangers that you face as a mouse. And all of the creatures in that are featured both both good and bad are featured in this very large, large, like just almost like insane look that is like, is it accurate? Maybe not. But to a mouse, that's what they look like. And it's terrifying. Mm-hmm. So it was reminding me of that. I was like, okay, yeah, I see what you're doing. I like that. I like that look. Um, yeah, I, I appreciated that it was very consistent apart yes. from, you know, Tiger, who turns out to be a friend and an ally to them. Um, but the even way, so, yeah. he's like, so, he's so huge. He's such a fat cat. He's just that... a big old fat, like, and, and it's Dom DeLuise doing the voice where he's like, hey, how you doing? Hey, that It's just like, it's impossible to think that this character is malevolent. Yeah. Because he's just like, hey, friend, I how you doing? I love him. He's, I love him so much. He is too much. <laughs> but we're getting always. way ahead of ourselves. Anywho, we will have village, some tiger love yes. later on in this episode. The village is sacked. Um, there is literally a shot of a soldier firing a rifle, and you see for the briefest moment someone hit the ground face first into the snow. I'm like, that person just got shot in the back and is dead. So this is within the first four or five minutes of the movie. Yeah. Um, when, and it just goes on from there. So they obviously uh, have no home to go back to, 
And it's sort of implied uh, that because the entire village burned down, that their whole mouse community is also displaced. So the, I guess, logical conclusion is for everyone to get on a boat to America. So we have a brief stint in uh, Germany where they get on the boat uh, and we a get... little bit of needed comedy after this very mm-hmm. intense village burning Oh, scene. sorry. Uh, I want to go back to um, that opening scene. We are also establishing that uh, Fievel is um, not even a dumb kid. He's just he's a kid. Idiot. He's very young. He's so he's idiot. just like, I'm going to go scare the, the cats away. And he's mm-hmm. very adventurous and very inquisitive, which obviously gets him into a whole lot of trouble. It's very much like movie kids always do this. Yeah. I don't know any real kids that would do this, but movie kids are always like, I'm going to go throw myself off that building. And you're like, I mean, maybe, but my God, every single moment for him. But, it's, it's just like, I'm going to go. De- he has a death wish constantly. But then the movie wouldn't happen. Ah, that's fair. And then Fievel couldn't go west. <laughs> he would stay east. In Estros. Fievel stays east. <laughs> um, so, yes, we uh, jump to them being on the boat to America. Well, getting on the boat is admittedly a pretty funny moment and i think necessary after this very intense opening scene of there's like a polka band of mice that are like playing this music as they're all like they're playing on the dock and they're all like going up the rope to get on the ship like you know everyone's doing their thing going order of course five getting distracted by everything keeps stopping the line and people keep tripping over themselves and it goes on for probably a little too long like after a while like okay we we get the point but okay fine but it's, you know, everyone's there is like, keep walking, keep going. And so it's just, and the band just keeps getting more and more upset for some reason. I don't know why the band is upset. Because um, they have to stop, I guess. Why do they stop? I don't know. They could just keep playing. But every time Fievel stops and distracts them and then they keep walking, the band gets more and more psychotic looking. <laughs> like, they just look like they want to fucking, like, throw Fievel into the ocean. I'm like, Jesus, what is, why are they so angry? But we are in Germany. So who knows? Who Anything's knows? possible. The Weimar Republic was still in full swing, or if it had even started yet, I don't know. Probably not. I'm, we're way ahead. But uh, we get to the boat. We get introduced to life on the uh, Atlantic crossing. Life on the good ship, Missouri. And we get uh, the song There Are No Cats in America, which is a very cheerful song about <laughs> the murders of loved ones. It is. Um, <laughs> my God, I forgot. <laughs> Every freaking moment of this song, every verse is just like we, the most horrific thing followed by the jauntiest chorus. And they do it three times in a row. Yeah, we get um, Papa, who represents the Russian immigrant experience. We get uh, Italian Mouse, who obviously, who is from Sicily. Who, he has a big mustache. Uh, so who has a big mustache Italy. and uh, represents the Italian immigrant experience. And then we get an Irish Mouse, who's... Um, uh, the love of his life was the one who was eaten by a cat uh, and he represents the Irish immigrant experience and there are only three types of immigrants in this movie Russians mm-hmm. Italians and Irish mm-hmm. yes indeed and I guess Germans because w- there's I also suppose. Gussie Mausenheimer well we'll get to her we'll get to her oh my lord oh, um, we'll, but yeah we'll get to her in the sure. world of this movie there are only three other countries <laughs> It's very much that, like, 
incorrect assumption of who the early immigrants all were yeah. like we'll go like well they came from italy and from ireland and from russia and you're like yes they did for and sure like a lot yes a lot but also from I mean, literally that's, that's where that's where my family came from so i'm like yes of course but there were plenty of others that we do not know about that are not covered in this because yeah apparently I mean, they he, didn't have time for that they had yeah. time for everything else in this movie which i want to get to later but yeah, anyhow. Yeah. Yes. We're focusing exclusively on um, three cherry picked European countries and I guess get fucked the rest of the world. And about the three most typical countries you would think of yeah. Ireland, Italy, and Russia. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, that's fine. But you have a song in which, like, they're literally singing about the deaths of their family members. The Italian mouth singing about, like, a mafioso cat that killed his family and his mother. Yeah. And the Irish mouse who does not have a tail either. And talking about their love, his love who was left and all they could find was the tail. Like, it was like... All of these, like, I'm not exaggerating. This is literally what they sing about. Yeah, they're and describing it, um, bodily mutilation in this song that is very chipper and, and, and every, in and, the chorus. And every verse is, like, ends with this. And then they found her dead on the street with her eyes gouged out. It uh, doesn't get that graphic, but, but, but it's but, in that but, vein. But, but bear with me. It's like it ends with that. And there's always an exhale of, like, ah, and there's a silence. And then all of a sudden... But there are no, and then it, and they all just perk up and start singing. It's like ha ha ha. And it's like whoa, wait a minute. That but, was a we went from zero to sixty in terms of like heartbreaking depression into. But there are no cats in America, and then everyone's happy. Mm-hmm. And it's like wow, this is like horrifying. Yeah, it's like hey, this is gonna solve all of our problems. No, it's not. Spoiler: It does not. Uh, also, on the voyage over, um, before shit hits the fan like for real for real we get the line from it's either i want to say it's either papa or mama who says as long as we're together we'll be all right hello dramatic irony nice to see you again get it movie and then the most after this very bizarre song the most cartoonish storm cloud appears out of nowhere (laughs) and literally just dumps rain directly onto the ship only the ship not the rest of the ocean just the ship. It's it's literally like the ship has its own personal rain cloud that just dumps water on it and then leaves. It's like the cartoon you see of a character that's sad and they have the rain cloud just yes, above them that follows exactly. them. That's what it looks like. It's like in this movie that's been up to this point, like, yeah, it's animated. We know that. But it's very much based in this, like, it feels real. You're in a human world. Like, there are little bits here and there. All of a sudden that scene happened. I was like... Oh, wait, now we're in, like, a Looney Tunes cartoon. Okay, (laughs) sure, why not? Yeah, it was, that really was odd, and it happened so quick that it didn't really pull me out of it, but I... But we laughed really hard. Yeah, we laughed at it, and I wonder if that was to, like... Is that the point? Try to segue into the next bit, so I I forgot about this part. I thought that Fievel got separated from his family once they were in New York, I absolutely forgot that he gets thrown overboard during a storm and his family thinks that he's dead. To be fair, Um, he does leap out into the storm 
of his own accord. Yeah, because again, he's precocious and inquisitive, and he's he's a dumbass, and he wants to see the fish. I'm like, I promise you, there are fish in New York. You can wait, Fivel. You can wait. And then um, he straight up throws the hat that has been described to him as like this has been passed down in mm-hmm. our generations, and now it is yours. He throws it onto the deck and go, I have to get my hat, and it's like, wow, like. You, you are, you are, you are going to die. How you don't die so many times in this movie is anyone's um, guess. But to, to go back to, um, the, that storm cloud that just appears suddenly and disappears. Boom, it, sadness. I wonder if that was some way to, like, try to introduce once, like, the actual storm that, like, knocks Fival off of the ship actually hits the waves are basically personified as, like, sea monsters, which I took to be, like, Fievel's impression of them because he's mm-hmm. this this wee little one, this wee little mouse, and it's this giant force of nature. So, of course, he would, you know, he, he has kind of a, a, a large imagination and a fantastical bent. So it makes sense that that's how he would see them, but then, but it's meant to be very serious and that makes sense. But, but he doesn't see the rain cloud. Come. I like, know. When, when he that's sees the why... waves, it makes sense. It's like, oh, right. He sees the waves of this giant sea monster. Like, I can get behind that. I'm like, yeah, of course. And it looks really cool. But he can't see the rain cloud coming. So it's such an odd moment. Not to, not to harbor on this, but it is a very, like, we laugh, but it's like, did you mean for that to be funny or was it just like, I mean, that's the thing. This movie is constantly, I think it knows how dark and grim it is. And it does try to throw comedy in there at times, sometimes to good effect. Sometimes it just feels very random. This was one of those times it felt a little like, wait, what movie am I watching? Yeah. I mean, that's what I was saying of like, I wonder if the intent behind that one very brief moment was sort of in that same vein it just it didn't work no i don't think so either it was Um, very weird that's Um, me trying to make sense of it (laughs) so throw five from the ship and they get to ellis island yes they uh they go through I don't know if it's customs. That's the wrong thing. They they, they, they go through immigration. They go through immigration. Yeah. Um, and we have the heartbreaking moment. Oh One of God. so many of. Uh, I forgot about this moment, and you know, it just they, kills you. The the Mouskowitz family gets to the front of the line, and the immigration worker asks how many, and Papa says five. Starts crying. I mean four. And good oh, lord. It just guts you. Good lord. And it's it's those moments though, like to this film's credit, like when they choose to sit in that, like it is very effective. And it is like, how are they going to handle this? And yeah, it's very real and feels very visceral. Um so I credit the movie for like when it does take those stabs at it, like that's that's risky for an animated kids movie. Like that's like you're you're risking parents being like, mm-hmm. Well, that's too dark, that's too much. And it's like I mean, they're not saying anything that's not true. Yeah. It's just stating the facts. I, I completely agree. And I wrote down the note, well, that's depressing. And then in parentheses, Fievel overboard, because I knew that that wasn't going to be the only thing where I would want to say, well, that's depressing. And I needed to clarify mm-hmm. um, because there there are so many moments. This is jumping way ahead. And it's this little detail that I noticed right at the very end, because spoiler alert, uh, Fievel and his family are reunited. Uh, what a everything, horrible movie. Everything works out fine. But, like, 
you really, Fievel, like, really hits rock bottom, like, right near the end, and he gives up all hope, and it's, like, literally the moment right before he and his family find each other, he is animated where there's, like, his eyes are ringed with red because he's been crying all night, and it was such a small, subtle detail, but it was just gut-wrenching. But it just hits you right Inside. Because you let him have that moment of despair and it's real and he's like sleep, trying to like find a place to sleep like in the rain and it's so sad. <laughs> the way that Fievel is animated throughout this is pretty incredible because there are so many of those close-ups of these huge eyes mm-hmm. with either the red underneath or just like the furrowed brow or just you can tell the wrinkles in the face of just like you know, stress and not sleeping and crying and all of this. And they really linger on that a lot, which is very effective for our main protagonist to be able to look at him and go like, wow, like to, to remind you, like this is a child Mm -hmm. who is suffering through this. This is not, you know, some adult protagonist who's trying to find their way through. Like this is a literal child who is somehow getting through it, but of course is succumbing to the pressures of everything. How could they not? Um, but it's really, it's really wonderfully animated whenever they do those close-ups and they just make, they just animate him to be the most just like lovable yet sad and just depressing figure, like down to like the, the shirt sleeves being too long Mm -hmm. and just, you know, like not being able to quite get his hands through it. And it's just, it adds to like the feeling of like, oh my God, this is a child. Yeah. I also think it, it is even more effective because it is an actual child voicing Fievel. That is true, And it's too. not, like... This isn't Rugrats we'll, or something. We'll talk about the music at some point in this and really? how it, sort, yeah. it sometimes remembers that it tried to be a musical. I have to remember to <laughs> sing. Um, but I I really appreciated the fact that the... I, I don't know the, the name of the voice actor who voiced Fievel, but is not a trained singer. It's just this little kid who has a very expressive voice, you know, speaking and, you know, does his his best to, to sing these songs. But I think it's in a movie about anthropomorphized mice going through the uh, late 1800s immigrant experience in America, I feel like that small detail of having it be voiced by an actual child who isn't like a trained performer lent it a lot of realism. It, it lends it much authenticity for sure. Philip Glasser is the name of the, the actor I just looked up. Okay. Don't know who that is. It's not Philip Glass because <laughs> that would be very weird. <laughs> um, much different movie. I, I think that, and also for the the actor who voiced Tanya as well, because mm-hmm. they, they get their duet of somewhere out there. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, that actor was a little bit older, had a little more control over her voice. Um, so it sounds a little bit better, but it's not like a big belty song or it's it's not by people who have a lot of training or it it doesn't sound perfect and i i in normal circumstances or like in other circumstances that might bother me but in this i it made it feel more real it it was weirdly grounding it very much did like it would have felt awkward if all of a sudden they started belting out some power ballad of it with professional singers it would have been very disingenuous i feel mm-hmm. But no, they stick to keeping it very 
it, there's a sweetness and an innocence, especially that moment. We're, we're jumping ahead a little bit, but like that moment of where they have the duet together. This is the song that most people know, I believe was nominated for an Oscar as well. I, I just saw um, somewhere out there and it is supposed to be two young siblings singing to each other somewhere. And you want to keep that sense of innocence and authenticity to it. That is not about how well you can sing. It's how well you can convey the emotion of what you're singing. Yeah. And I think that that particular song, it almost felt like that would be like a lullaby that they would sing. And like, they're both Mm -hmm. singing it. Yeah as like a comfort and to keep their hopes up. None of the other songs in the movie have that feeling like they're an organic thing that might happen, but that one Mm -hmm. in in particular does have that feeling, which I think is also why it works so well. I agree. But to go back to, uh, where do we, where do we leave off in the plot there? So we, um, they've gotten, uh, the, the Mouskowitzes have gotten to New York. Oh, um, Fievel is fine. He sto- he was able to, like, crawl into a bottle. Literally floats to New York in a bottle. <laughs> and is... Fievel in a bottle. And is rescued by the prototype for Giacomo. <laughs> the prototype for Giacomo from Thumbelina, but far more helpful. Um, the Voiced f- by Christopher Plummer. Christopher Plummer is the French... Pigeon Henri, who's or just... Henry or Henry, or Henry, as we will say for... Henry. Henry. For our uh, American um So Henry pops dialect. up and is just like, I will take care of you, young mouse. You are, you are alone and dirty. I will give you a bath and... And send you on your way to immigration, which is just over, over yonder. But not before they have the... Um, I think, I believe this is the second of the songs that pops up after There Are No Cats in America. Yes, which is Never Say Never. Which is the first of the songs you could argue is a little like, I'm talking to you and what, there's a musical beat. (laughs) I could say this, but I think I'm going to start singing it. And you're like, okay, that's fine. It's very, it's, it's charming enough. It's not terrible. It's just like, it's mostly just, Henry telling Fievel, like, hey, keep your chin up, never say never, like, you must always believe mm-hmm. if you follow your heart. Well, now we're switching Don Bluth It's movies. the same, it's the same kind it's, of sentiment. It's basically the same, except Henry is much more helpful he, to he's, Fievel. He, he's much more helpful, and also, like... He plucks him out of the ocean, he gets him cleaned up, he tells him where to go for, to go through immigration and, and and has to get his attitude up to be like you yeah. know like you will go find your family and of course five was like no i'm not I'm blah, 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 blah. and he's like no you have to so he's like and he's doing and even in the middle of the song at one point five was like no they won't be able to do that and then he's like no you must believe never and he's just like straight up like i'm singing the song but no you must say you must not say never Which... and then he catches on and then it's fine yeah, he, though, he, he beats it into him. Though sure. toxic positivity is a thing, and I think Henry may suffer from it oh, because I, any any hey, pigeon get... any pigeon in a Don Bluth movie apparently <laughs> suffers from some form of toxic positivity down to the. <laughs> I think I should think otherwise. No, you must not. So I mean, yeah, keep your hopes up, but also understand the gravity of the situation here, my dude. So he sends Fievel to immigration with one of his three ladybirds who. <laughs> live there who also live in the oh and, oh, oh right. they live in the unfinished statue of liberty we forgot to mention to that. which he the only reason he doesn't take him down there is that he must work on his statue and i'm like 
right. Okay. So you're also delusional. Well, that, that, mm-hmm. that helps. Uh, what's next? Um, uh, so he go, he, oh, right. So he gets dropped in and literally gets dropped in to a suitcase outside of immigration where we meet our main antagonist. Warranty rat. Oh, man. Don't trust that warranty. No. Hey. That's a bad warranty. No, it's an extended warranty, I think. <laughs> I um, love this character. He is such a sleazeball. And I guess it's my it's my um, my soft spot for sleazeballs. <laughs> uh, who... So warranty rat is not actually a rat. He's a, a cat pretending to be a rat. And we I, don't know that yet. Yeah, we. That's only. But we don't know that that he's a cat disguised as a rat. Yeah, that is revealed later. But in the second act, um, I had a thought. What was I going to say? Oh, and it it sort of is established that this is a little later on as well. But the the mice of New York City basically pay him for protection from the cats. Not knowing that he is actually the head of the cat gang. You pay me for protection in where's the that, city. Come on. Where's that gang in Gangs of New York? <laughs> I mean, this movie was so... And we're going to get to it later. It becomes even more like Gangs of New York. This movie is essentially Gangs of New York with animals. Like, I was like, <laughs> gee, maybe slightly less violent, but only slightly. But I was I was waiting for, like, Daniel Day-Lewis cat to pop through at some <laughs> point and just go, like, election day. And I was like, I was very disappointed no, that's that it never happened. Strong. I guess so. That's I think that's what's his face. Um, that's uh, Jim Broadbent in Gangs of New York. I haven't actually seen Gangs of New York. I just, oh, it's oh, it's good. It's good. It's long. Again, but it's, not but, but from it's good. lack of desire. As with most things, I just have never sat down to watch it. Um, oh, also, we haven't, or at least I haven't looked up trivia for this. Is his is Warranty's getup supposed to look like? some of the villains in Pinocchio. I think, well, I think like the, so. Like the ones that Pinocchio, like the ones that convinced Pinocchio you not mean, to go to school. You mean the original Honest John? We'll get to Honest John in a minute in this movie. Is that really the name of those characters? His, it's, or it, one of them? It's Honest John is the fox in Pinocchio and it's, oh shoot, it's the, um. It's, it's the the one who doesn't talk. It's it, it's the cat who originally was supposed to be Mel Blanc voicing yeah. it apparently. But and then yeah. his lines got cut. Who's just, you know, like the dopey cat who's like. Yeah. Yeah. But they're like the two like highwaymen that are just like, come to the theater, my boy, be an actor. Yes. That's right. His name is Honest John. Anyway, that. But he his, does. He does look like him a lot. His outfit looks so much like that, and mm-hmm. I wonder if that was like a deliberate homage to that. The kind of highwayman con artist. Because it's basically the like, same hey, kid. It's basically the exact same thing that happens. Mm-hmm. Because aren't they the ones who take Pinocchio to Stromboli and like sell him mm-hmm. into servitude? Mm-hmm. Um, and essentially the same thing happens. Um, He's a sin. Yeah. Warranty rat. Says to Fievel, hey, I, I, know, I know where your parents are. And he takes him to this unnamed sweatshop owner, uh, Mouse, who is like, hey, kids, get to work. What, what's great is that leading him to there, he's just like, I'll lead you to your family. Follow me. And there's an exti- there's a very long sequence of them leaving to walk there that never cuts away. And it just keeps going. And I realized, like, Would- I was, like, looking and there's, like, this kind of jaunty music playing. And, like, warranty refs kind of walk into the beat, like, hey, it's okay, you can trust me. And after a while, Fievel starts walking to the same beat, and they're both just like, walking along. And it's like, and they're like, yeah, it's kind of Pinocchio-esque again. You're like, Yeah, I okay. wonder if that's a reference. Like, it's been a long time since I've watched it, Pinocchio, but just, I do wonder if that is, like, 
I think it is another reference to and a it shot just, in that it, film. It just keeps going for a while. I was like, yeah. okay, we we get it. Can we get out we of get this it. scene now? But they get to the sweatshop. He's in there, and you know, sleeping with a bunch of other mice and to a which, bunch of like young children. To which this is the first moment in the movie for me of something that I feel kept happening throughout. Of we establish a scene and we establish something that's going on only to immediately get out of it in no time at all to move on to the very next set piece. And it just, it's like a, it just keeps happening more and more after this. Like it just, the rest of the movie feels like it's just like going downhill and it just gets faster and faster. And you're like, okay, we're in the sweatshop. No, we're not because Fievel gets out with the help, not even the help he's getting out with. We meet Tony. Tony is also in this our Italian-American rat who's there like, hey, kid, I'll get you out. Let's go. And no, except Fievel's the one who has he the idea. Even, yeah, Fievel has the idea. Tony's just like, okay, let's go. Fievel gets, Fievel is as really um, impulsive and sometimes dumb as he is. He's also very resourceful. Extremely so. Like, he's straight up like, I'm getting out of here. And, and he is not waiting I for that. I do love that. Fievel is the one to come up with a lot of the different solutions to the problem, Mm -hmm. uh, to the various problems that he encounters in the movie. And most of them come from inspiration from the stories that his dad would tell them, which I think is very sweet and is like this connection that he Mm -hmm. has to his family um, that's sort of sustaining him and is, is basically keeping him alive, which is a really lovely kind of undercurrent through this. That's true. And very much and very, very much escape in the way that all people escape in movies is by tying bedsheets together and lowering yourself out of a window, which I've never tried, but seems like it would be a little tricky but who knows they're also very small also they are they are very small um and uh, that's where we uh, if we reference this later you'll know what we're talking about tony decides to nickname fievel philly because hey no i can't have that name so tony's essentially doing the thing that immigration was doing by saying like at we're changing your name which they do address earlier too yeah um which is what we talked about of when they when um mm -hmm. the rest of the family passes through immigration Tanya has asked her dad, like, Dad, why did they change my name to Tilly? And before they even get there, they show the human world where they do the whole thing of, like, name, and it's, like... Something and very, they very give them a Russian. very Russian name, and the guy goes, thank you, Mr. Smith. Which yeah. is a thing that happened. It's the whole, like, Don from Corleone, like, Don Corleone. It's that whole thing. So it's the, um... So they do all that, and then we have Tony here as well being like, nah, mm-hmm. you gotta be called Philly. And it's like, don't you be taking my name away from me, you... New York fuck. Yeah. My name is Fievel. Yeah. Also, well, first of all, Fievel is not hard to say. Second of all, even if it was, fucking learn how to say it, Tony. Also, Tony, learn how to pronounce Tony it. Tony doesn't really do anything no. to help in this entire movie. Tony is there to like... Tony is purely circumstantial. He, he helps out a little in that purely by chance he leads to more helpful people. <laughs> he leads him to Bridget, who actually provides help. Also, I love the, the like, in that same moment where he's giving Fievel the nickname Philly. Hey, Philly fits you perfect, kid I just met. You don't, you don't me know this Philly child? Philly fits me perfect. Fuck you, Tony. You don't know this baby? He's a baby, and his name is Fievel. His little, little I bambino. Come here. I do also understand why they had that in there apart from it being you know based in you know historical fact of you know names getting changed of 
they wanted to build in sort of the confusion at the end um, uh, yeah. where it's like, is it Philly Mouskowitz? Is it Fievel Mouskowitz? Is it our Fievel Mouskowitz um, when it comes into play? And um, But anyway, it, for modern day audiences, learn how to pronounce people's names. Is it the Fievel Mouskowitz and SAG or is it a different <laughs> one? We don't know. So is fi- it Fievel Mouskowitz <laughs> spelled M-O-U or M-A-U? <laughs> Fievel F. Mouskowitz. <laughs> so he gets out, um, immediately ditches Tony, like you do, because Tony's been of no help and has just changed his name on him. And he's like, hey, Philly, where, Philly, where are you going? And he's like, Fievel's already taken off. He's like, I'm out, bye. Mm-hmm. He's gone. And then we get this sort of montage of Fievel just wandering around getting nowhere almost uh having a stand by me moment which James and I just watched for the first time the other day of which him you only getting if you haven't seen stand by me go watch it it's, it's great it's great um but he almost gets hit by a train he almost he, gets stepped on by horses it's it's a lot of tomfoolery of this Poor lost child really, wandering to really poor depressing wandering Tom one. Foolery. Yeah. Oh my god, yeah. Then they start playing Poor Wandering One from Pirates of Penzance. Yeah. And it's like the, just that that whole that whole musical is so silly and light and there's nothing really to take seriously in it at all. And they somehow make Poor Wandering Heart into this just horribly depressing yeah. song, which I guess good work. I didn't think you could make a song from Pirates of Penzance sad, but you can. Oh, also, speaking of horribly depressing, uh, this is backtracking slightly. Um, in amongst the adventures that Fievel has been going on, we eventually, or we sometimes cut to uh, the rest of the Mouskowitzes. And Tanya has this sense that, hey, I think that Fievel's alive. I think he's actually okay. Um, I think he's still alive. Oh, Jesus. And then right. Mama says, after a while, it will go away. Oof. And Oof. it is such a heartbreaking and dark line. And I'm like, how many and it tells people you, have you lost? I mean, I guess like lost all. So many. Yeah, it's like, I guess all of, you've established with There Are No Cats in America, the musical number that everyone has lost most of their family to cats. So I guess that makes sense. But it is so. It's not dwelled on, but it's so. Mm-hmm awful it's it's and, very sad yeah um sorry uh we can move past that particular uh hugely depressing moment and continue on to i'm sure another one is coming up soon um uh more shenanigans oh and then we meet bridget um who is far more useful and far more practical and far more helpful than really anyone else and she's 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 on her soapbox so to say soapbox hat whatever it is of like telling everyone like we need to get together to do something about these cats like she's basically unionizing so yeah you would think usually she'd be dead within five minutes she doesn't die good um but no, so they are all like, oh, no, don't say that. Like, she's like, no, I'm going to do it. So you're like, okay, clearly she's talking about change. And she straight up is like, no, let's like fucking do it. And you're like, hey, all right. Like, yeah. she's taking charge. We have to get together we, and figure out what we're going to do about these cats. But we only meet her because like Tony and Fievel are running by and Tony just immediately goes into like animated movie like 
I want to fuck you. <laughs> like, yeah. just his character changes completely one to, of like, my, One of hey, my notes was, keep it in your pants, Tony. <laughs> he barely does. I mean, this movie takes it so far where it's, like... But what's even better is that he, like, goes, like, right up to her, and they're the only two there, and then she turns, and then she immediately gets sheepish. It's Twitter-pated from Bambi. They are both they're, so Twitter-pated. Yeah, they're both just there, and they're essentially just eye-fucking on the screen for, yes. like, five minutes. And Fievel's like, hey, guys, what's going on? F- finally, Fievel breaks it up. Because it's it's getting to the point where you're going like, can you stop? This is getting really weird. And finally, Fievel's like, Tony, what's wrong with you? And you're like, yeah, because we all know that person. We all have that friend who probably does that. And you're like, hey, 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 hey what's wrong with you? Stop it. <laughs> Wake up. It's not that big of a deal. So they're in love. They waste no time on that. It is it is it is Twitter baiting. You're right. That yeah. is it is literal they Twitter baiting. They just see each other, and it's like, oh my god. <laughs> I think I love you. And they are promptly attacked by cats. Which you would is think when they would bo- break into song and they don't. Yeah, you're right. But again, should we talk about that? How it's like sometimes a musical and oh. sometimes not? I mean, I, I feel we're, a, I feel a, I feel we're kind of getting to the songs as we go. Yeah, I just so I think we're I think I think by the end we should bring it back though and talk about that because I'm trying to remember all of the songs now. Yeah, that's that's the big problem though. Yeah, it's very odd because there that is a moment where. If this were a more fully fleshed out musical, there would be a musical number. You would think the two people falling in love would have a song. You wouldn't think that, uh, what, like, what, what's one of, like, the random songs? Like, the bird starts singing because yeah. he's like, I must condense you. And you're like, yeah, why is there a song, though? Yeah, Bridget and Tony are much more central characters in yeah. the story, and they don't get anything. Not really. Not really. Um... But yes, but I it's think... It's sort of like, um, what was it, last episode, the Fern Gully one, where it's like, why do all of these random side characters get songs but not the leads? Music just kind At of... At least Fievel gets a song. He, and participates yes. in a lot of the songs. Yes, which which we are, which we're pretty close to, I think. Um, so yes, they are, but they are attacked by cats. Um, Fievel learns that there are, in fact, there are cats, cats in America. In America. Oh, no. To which also in that same, this is one of those, oh, yeah. Also, we've had a moment where, like, Fievel and Tony have literally walked over a walkway in which Papa Mouskowitz and Tanya are walking under it. So this is the first of many times where it's, like, just passing each other. Yeah. And you're like, oh, no. And literally in this attack, everyone's in the same attack. They just don't see each other. So, like, Fievel has the realization of, like, I have to tell Papa. And then Papa wakes up and the mom's like, there are no what in America. <laughs> He's like, sorry. Um, also, Fievel almost low. almost gets eaten by one of the cats. He gets eaten. He, and then he, he's in the mouth. He climbs, he's going down he, the digestive tract. And then he climbs his way out. I'm like, oh no. I feel this happens again in the sequel. They have something about mouse being swallowed. I don't know. I don't know. I do not re- remember. Anything about Fievel Goes West. Oh, I remember much more about that than I did about this, I will say. See, it's um, the opposite is true for me, but oh, I've seen excited. this more recently. Um, anywho, he basically gets swallowed, crawls his way out of there, gets out, um, and, and escapes. And then everyone is fine, except Everyone's for fine. Uh, one mouse whose wake we interrupt. Oh my god. This uh, scene... This so, might be my favorite scene in this whole damn movie. So, to to set up how we get here, if you did not watch along with us, how dare you? Just kidding. It's how fine. Dare Live your you. life. You're busy, probably. Never um, say never. 
They meet Bridget. Tony explains that Fievel is looking for his family. And Bridget... Really lost his family. And, and Bridget says, oh, we, I should uh, take you to Honest John. He knows every mouse in the city. Honest John at Tammany Hall. And I went, oh, fuck me. I did not realize Tammany Hall was going to make an appearance here, but it makes sense that they do. Sorry, what is Tammany Hall? So Tammany Hall was a political, um, this kind of like gang-like political organization that used to operate in New York at around this time. This is what Gangs in New York is all centered kind of around that. Gotcha. They were this corrupt political machine that basically was like, that's why he, well, we'll get to the votes in a second. But they were, they were all about like these false votes, counting votes getting people elected through very shady dealings. It was a big old corrupt system of, like, they basically ran New York for a period of time through through corrupt politics before they eventually got taken down by the government and dismantled and went on from there. But they were a very high-ranking, very influential organization in New York at the time that was just, like, corrupt through. So they're going to meet Honest John at Tammany Hall. Please take it away. Now to describe they, this scene. <laughs> they go to this scene, and it is a wake. It is a wake for a mouse that was killed that day, and we meet Honest John, our, who looks like a mouse who would work at Tammany Hall. It's this very big, just like mouse with this very drunk personality. He is voiced so by, Voiced by Neil Ross, who's making another appearance here. Thank you, Neil Ross. <laughs> um, and who's just straight up like... And who's already gone and is like, it's me third wake of the day. And you're like, this movie just changed entirely and I'm all for this. Now, now all of a sudden it's an Irish comedy. <laughs> now it's a McDonough play. And he straight up goes up to the dead body and is just like, oh, it's too young, didn't, didn't even get a chance to vote. Well, takes out a ledger, gets his name and adds him to four other names of ghost votes, which is... Tammany Hall, in a nutshell, the ghost votes, the political repercussions, or Sideshow Bob Roberts, for those of you following at home who are Simpsons fans, still, ghost votes coming into play there. Which is dark in and of itself, but accurate, and kind of funny and terrible all at the same time in this kid's movie, all of a sudden. This deep political commentary. Um, So they establish that, and they bring Fievel in, and, you know, it's like, oh, I don't, I haven't met the family yet, they just got here. But then... Do you want to talk about what's her face coming in? Gussie Mausenheimer, Gussie Mausenheimer, Madeline Kahn. Oh my god, I cannot believe I forgot that Madeline Kahn was in this movie, and she's basically doing Lily von Stepp from Blazing Saddles. That's was it was just like wow, this is incredible. And I had forgotten most of this sequence of events, um, including her character, but she is. The upper crust of uh, New York mouse society. And essentially, she storms into Tammany Hall to complain about the cat attack that just happened and has the line, what was it? <laughs> Those um, cats are attacking everyone. They don't know. They don't even know the difference between rich and poor, which. Hey. Brief but stinging commentary about uh, the policing system. She and might the... get the most complete arc in this movie, <laughs> to be honest. Like, that's where she starts off, and you're like, who is this bitch? Yeah, I feel like this is representative of a lot of the rest of the movie, of introducing 
really pointed ideas and like kind of honest commentary on the sort of unvarnished truth of the American experience and particularly for immigrants and like, you know, people who came here with money and people who came here without money and, and, and all of that. And it's never really lingered on which I think is because the movie is trying to give like a drive-by highlights mm -hmm. real view of what the immigrant experience was at this time for people coming over from specifically mm -hmm. Europe because that the, those are the characters the that we're introduced to. Um, but I, I appreciate that it exists in this movie because they didn't have to. There was a really cool moment. I just wanted to jump back briefly because I, I, not to get into the trivia about this because I haven't looked into it all that much, but there's a brief moment earlier I saw where when Fievel's out looking for his family and getting into various kinds of shenanigans, he's looking through the window of a classroom and it's these kids learning the Pledge of Allegiance and he's just on the outside with his sad mouse face and you're like, <laughs> oh God, stop. Which is sad enough on its own, but then in the trivia, I read this how... Um, so Steven Spielberg was the producer on this. This was through Amblin Entertainment. Um, and he he wanted that scene put in because it was a story. Also, Fievel, name of his grandfather, apparently. Huh. And it was the story of, I guess, the story his grandfather had told about how in school classrooms, like Jewish children were like they couldn't be in the class. They'd be looking through the window to see to hear what was going on so that was based directly out of that interesting which i was like i did not know that but like talking about the commentary in there that was another spot that's like much more subtle but yes but in a similar way mm -hmm. um but we but we meet her uh she abruptly leaves also it's madeline Kahn just coming in swinging for the fences <laughs> like she always did yeah well she comes in and the reason why is because she Basically becomes the person who finally <laughs> instigates the rally and the coming together that Bridget was talking about. Don't you mean the wowie? The wowie? <laughs> a gavel That's wing. what I said. A wowie. <laughs> oh, a rally. Um, That's which what is, I'm saying. Which is also some not-so-subtle commentary on, like, if you want things to change, you need the people with power mm -hmm. to give a shit. And, and unfortunately, they often don't give a shit until things affect mm -hmm. them, which because they have money, they're insulated from a lot of the time. But you got to care about people who have less and now than that you. And now that the cats have attacked the rich mice as well, she's interested. Yes. All and, of this And we'll to get say, to something more like that in a second. Yes. We haven't but, even gotten to the wowie yet. <laughs> but because of this, the wowie happens. Sorry, you were just taking a drink. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Damn this wowie. Don't blame me. Blame Madeline Kahn. Oh, I could never. Madeline Kahn, <laughs> rest in peace, you amazing, talented person. Um, God. Oh, but before that, we, we've talked a lot about Somewhere Out There, the song, but we do get a very, we get a lot of Moses imagery. Oh, um, boy. Leading up to that song. So Bridget, because Bridget is the responsible one and who also apparently has stable housing, um, takes Fievel in and is like, hey, you can stay here with me tonight. And he's sleeping in a literal basket in that's floating on water because they're up in like a water tower. It's I, like it's I, like Prince of Egypt. All yeah, of it's very Prince of Egypt of just this basket which contains this lost, lonely Jewish child <laughs> floating on the water. 
and then it leads into somewhere out there. Which is arguing, which I mean, I don't arguably, it is the best song in the movie. It is by far. Um, and for the reasons we already went into, like having the kids singing it, making it not this smooth big power ballad, but having to be this very sweet connection also we haven't really gotten too much between tanya and five on this like we know that they are siblings and they love each other but we haven't gotten too much between them except that tanya really does believe that five alive and wants to find him so you get this sweet moment for them which is very very well done and is arguably like one of the more memorable moments of the film mm-hmm. with some pretty stunning animation too yeah like very very impressive yeah the animation in all of this is like very very beautiful it's mm-hmm. the some very interesting compositing Yes, I I think beautiful is the correct word, but a lot the backgrounds of New York are meant to be a little dingy mm-hmm. and a lot of browns and grays and but that it's to it's very give it, a sense of the city at the time. It, it was a New York was a dirty place. Lamp- any any major city was a dirty place. <laughs> it's kind of what we were talking about Land Before Time recently of like Land Before Time having a lot of those similar earthy, dingy colors and this almost grimy feel to it. Yeah. But it added to the feeling of threat and danger as it does here very mm-hmm. effectively. Um, anywho, so they, they, they get through that song. Uh, lovely moment. And then are they at the Wowie after that? Yes, yeah. they go to the Wowie. They go to the Wowie to which we have... Um, I, I'm just going to call her Madeline Kahn because it's easier. Gussie. We have Gussie up there who's like, you know, trying to get everyone like going and is saying, and then what are those lines that happen? Like when she's like, we need to fight back. And then there's someone who's like, easy for you to say you're rich. And I was like, whoa. Yeah. Accurate. Uh, yeah. And it's like, easy for you to say you're rich. How does that go? It's straight up just kind of like, oh, yeah, you can talk and make a big deal about this. You're rich. You have everything. What do you have to worry about? And then she even follows back. What did she say something about? Like, That's what having, I'm trying to remember. Having she ha- money and it's just like, you know, I have no need. I'm going to fuck it up. But. She has some clever retort. But it, it's, yeah, the, the fact that she is wealthy keeps coming up. Um, and they don't let you forget it, which yeah, is they, a very clever move. Yeah, they they don't let you forget that she is uh, part of the 1% <laughs> of this 1885 Mouse New York. And what happens? So it's the, the rally, or excuse me, the wowie Thank is about uh, what do we do about the cats? Which, again, is what Bridget has been trying to get people to do forever. Oh, I'm, um, I'm sorry, I just found the quote. She okay. says... Money is not everything. I know because I have money and I have everything. <laughs> there it is, folks. Um, and Fival comes up with an idea. We don't learn it at this point, but Fival comes up with an idea for what to do about the cats. He whispers it into Bridget's like, ear. Well, no, no. First, no. First, he goes up to Gussie because Gussie has the loudspeaker. And she and he whispers it into the loudspeaker into, into Gussie's ear. ear, and then Honest John is like, "What he said?" And then Gussie whispers, whispers it, it through the loudspeaker into Honest, Honest John. John. They keep they, they keep the loudspeaker under, yeah. which is such a lovely. They little keep bed. it under wraps, and as far as we know, what to do about the cats involves a lot of arts and crafts in this museum of the bazaar, uh, which happens to be right next to the docks. Um, we're gonna put a pin in that because that is going to come into play in very short oh order. Oh my. My next note is tiger. How do we get there? Oh, so oh right. So they so so they're all all the mice are down working on the pier to get this thing together, whatever it's gonna be. And then 
Tony and Fievel wake up late, and Tony's running down, terrified that he's going to be late, and he's going to be in the doghouse, to which me just read, like, ah, Bridget's not going to fuck you now, is she? (laughs) No, she's not, because you have done nothing. Also, Tony has not been anywhere in all this. Bridget's been doing all this work. Mm -hmm. Even fucking, like, you know, Rich Madeline Conmouse has been doing work. And he's just there like, oh, no, if I don't get down there and help. I promised Bridget I'd be there on time. She's going to throw me out of my ass. I'm like, no, she's probably going to cut you hard, dude, because you are of no help at all. So Fievel gets distracted, though, because he hears. You are of no use in the proletarian uprising. <laughs> he, he'll no, it, no, he's not. Like, when they rise, like, Bridget will probably, like, hang him and be like, there. That's the example. But why was Fievel staying with Tony and not with Bridget? Be- Bridget has stable Bridget, housing. Bri- but he was with in Bridget. In the Moses and basket. And then he was with Tony. I don't Why know. Why is Tony not just there? It's like they're divorced parents already. I don't know. It's weird. It's like shared custody. Know. Anyway. Um, because this has to happen. Because be- he because he thinks he hears his dad's violin. Also, it's a thing where he keeps thinking he's hearing his dad's violin music. One time it's a record player. And then he hears it again, and it's coming from the sewers. Mm-hmm. So he goes down into the sewers, another secret of Nim-esque, like, going through with weird creatures emerging from the back. Um, and he finds the cat gang. The cat, literally a gang of cats all playing cards in the sewer. And the violin that he hears is being played by Warranty Rat, and it is in this scene that we learn that he is not, in fact, a rat. He is, in fact, a cat. And he keeps quoting Shakespeare incorrectly. And it mm-hmm. it, it, it made my soul happy. Every every <laughs> quote. If music, be oh, yeah. the, if music be the food of love, oh, Macduff, play on. Yeah, play on, Macduff. It just, um, ah, it's so uh, good. I don't know what's worse, your playing or Shakespeare. Oh, yeah, because uh, Warranty has this little cockroach accountant um lackey that, like, lives in his pocket. He looks like, he looks like Jiminy Cricket if he chose a life of crime. Yeah, he looks like Jiminy Cricket that has been on a real rough bender. And has probably done a shit ton of drugs and is now a little fucked up. Yeah, he's done a shit ton of meth, a lot of ecstasy. (laughs) (laughs) But we're down here in the cat gang, and this is where we meet Tiger, Tiger! voiced by Dom DeLuise. Another big Dom Bluth mainstay who feels been in almost everything he's done Mm -hmm. at this point. Um... But, uh, but yes, we meet Dom DeLuise, Tiger Cat, who is this big orange tabby playing cards, wins at Rummy, to which they remind him we're playing poker, not Rummy. So we're immediately like, okay, it's the Outsider mm-hmm. Cat. Long story short, Fievel gets discovered and locked up, but then Tiger and Fievel become friends and they escape. Oh yeah, Fievel escapes gets up to the top, starts to walk away, and is snatched back under almost immediately. Yeah. It's like, I'm safe. No, you're not. Yoink. To which they throw him in a cage where you get... They get a song you get, you together. Get, you get more sad five of him literally, like, sobbing in the cage. Yeah. Which is, like, even more like, oh, Jesus. But then we see Tiger come over and befriends him, and it's like, ah, oh, like, he gets that great line of, it's like, I like mice. Ah. No, 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 like no, 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 no. I'm actually no. a vegetarian. <laughs> Oh, yeah, he's at, and he likes fish every once in a while, so I can identify with Tiger very, <laughs> very hardcore. Oh, also, um, I don't know if this is what the movie intended to imply. Probably not, because it was 1986. During this scene, Fievel is saying, I've lost my family, I don't know where they are. Oh. And that 
tickle uh-huh. and, and you know that really gets to tiger and he explains you know i lost my family too eight brothers ten sisters three fathers no mothers are mentioned so was he raised by a polyamorous gay thruple oh i i i <laughs> I, I, I read that much more as he probably still talks to his mom but there's been a lot of alley cats that have been going through and taking their turns and then leaving. And I mean, that's probably off. what it was intended, but my brain went to that oh. he was raised that's by a three much, dads. That, that, that's a much more positive <laughs> outlook. I, I, I envy that. <laughs> I definitely heard that as like, oh, man, you just had like different alley cats strolling up and your mom's just like, here's another one. Great. What do you want? <laughs> I mean, that is the more accurate uh the more accurate to life situation of you know, a but we can go. Cat. We can go with the polyamorous I, relationship. I like the polyamorous gay thruple. I mean, uh, that I, just adopts all of these stray kittens. I, I mean, really Tiger. Like that. Tiger is is the most like seems the most self possessed of his own sort of identity and sexuality and sort of comfort levels. So that's entirely possible. He's not giving in to all of these early stereotypes. He's straight up like, yo, I'm a vegetarian. I like to eat fish sometime. And I like mice because fuck it. I don't <laughs> want to eat you. Let's be cool. Let's be friends. Let's have another awkward song duet together. Mm-hmm. And also, we get another song. Because we have to establish their friendship very hey, fast. Da, 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 but da, da, I want to, it's either before or after the song. It doesn't really matter. But they're talking about like, hey, do you like this? Yeah, I like that too. What's your favorite book? The Brothers Karamazov. And I'm like, first of all, Wait, get out you, without did pun. Did you say the, uh, the Brothers Karamazov? They do say Karamazov, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it's why a, I laughed. It's a good pun. But also, Fievel, you're a baby. You have not read The Brothers Karamazov or The Brothers Karamazov. I it, can guarantee you. Maybe he didn't care much for Anna Karenina. We don't know. <laughs> Shall we? He actually really loves War and Peace, but he didn't want to bring that up because he didn't want to flex too hard on him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He thought, nah, it might be a little too heady. I just met this person. I don't want to scare them off exactly. with my uh, literary prowess. I like Tolstoy. <laughs> you don't know Tolstoy. <laughs> uh, do we want to just... Uh, ju- Maxim Gorky's my hero. Do we want to jump to the climax with the... What is revealed to be the plan to get yeah. rid of the cats? Yeah, so this is the big thing. Okay, um, for those of you wondering, Fievel escapes, Tiger helps him, Tiger gets fired, and he's like, good, fuck you, and he leaves. And so that's how he gets out of there. So we return now to our big climax of what they're going to do. Nicole, what are they going to do? What's the plan? So the plan is to scare all of the cats onto the boat that is currently at the docks which is bound for hong kong they are going to ship the cats to hong kong and how they're gonna get all of the cats onto the ship is the arts and crafts project from earlier is they have made truly the stuff of nightmares a giant mechanical mouse of minsk which is a callback to the opening scene Mm -hmm. where papa is telling this story to Fievel and Tanya of it was a mouse that was like a mile tall and was this giant fearsome thing and scared all of the cats away, which is the idea that Fievel uh, whispered to Gussie at the Wowie. Um, And there's a lot of commotion, but because this is an animated kids film, after a lot of... Oh, right, because... Because shenanigans they eventually succeed be, because Fievel shows up early because he's not in on the plan he's just literally getting chased by cats who get there early 
before the ship's horn's supposed to go off, which is supposed to signal the creature to come out. So you have Honest John trying to hold it back. You're like, no, stop, mm-hmm. they can't go yet. And then it's just all of this insanity. You get Warren T. Rat out there trying to plead his case, gets his nose, like, broken off, which he gets the great line of, What's in a nose that we would call by any other name would smell as sweet. Like, it's just and, uh, like... what are you going to believe? Me or your own eyes? The old the old classic vaudeville line. I love <sighs> that. Um, anywho, the giant mouse of Minsk. This incredibly animated yet Was horrifying that? Chuck E. Cheese from hell yeah. comes out and just... Was that CG? No, I don't think so. It looked maybe that was the compositing that you they, talked about. I, I think it, it was the compositing, yeah. Weird, which I, I not even bad, but it had a different quality to it than the rest of the animation. I don't, I don't think Don Bluth started getting into CG till. I mean, obviously Titan AE, but like maybe Anastasia, possibly. Probably. But I don't think before that. There's got to be some tracking shots because it was only around. This was so. This came out in '86 which was the same year that The Black Cauldron came out from Disney. This movie, as far as I'm concerned, very well known, beat out Black Cauldron by a mile at the box office. It was far more successful and popular. Um, But I think Black Cauldron was the first time they actually used any CG in anything, and it was very brief. Gotcha. So I don't think that they would have had that that in the budget. Is that for, like, the green smoke? It was for the boat it's weird the boat that they're on it's 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 very odd i didn't realize this till till recently but Mm -hmm. anywho it was still in its infancy uh but no i think i think it was just the compositing but it is good compositing i don't know it's very like i mean it's very disordinate it makes you feel very like i don't know what i'm looking at but i'm like it does still feel in the world of the movie though it's true yeah it also, you can see why these cats freak the fuck out and take off, because I mean, I any too. of us would. Any... This thing is roaring. It is sending off fireworks. It, it is... is coming for your soul. As I said, truly the stuff of nightmares. Um, they succeed, yay, but in sort of the hubbub of trying to get the, the machine out of... you can of... trust me in Chinese is Warranty Rat's final line. But it's in the... Perfect. In the kerfuffle of trying to get the the mechanical mouse of Minsk nightmare fuel uh, out of its hiding place, uh, Fival he basically falls, hits his head, and gets knocked out, and is sort of swept away again in all of the the it's just, kerfuffle. It's just one more thing to be like, let's put him through a little bit yeah. more. It's like, but Jesus. at this point, in this same very chaotic sequence of events his family learns that he is actually alive or he was mm-hmm. until very recently they don't know where he's gone they don't know what's happened to him which then leads to the final moments where five all, we we've talked about this so i think we can mm-hmm. move through this quickly loses all hope and it's my note was no Fievel, don't give up he's, no. he's basically taunted by other orphans who are just telling them their experience if it's like what are you still like wanting your family to come find you? They're not gonna look for you. Like, you I mean they would they would have found you by now. And he straight up just like gives up on his dreams and it's just shattering. Yeah, it's and what you were saying before of allowing Fival and other characters to like sit in their despair and let it ride out as it normally would is it one it's very effective and it it doesn't you know 
I know we've watched some stuff in the course of this podcast and certainly many other uh, shows and movies where it's just emotional manipulation where it's maybe the music is playing a certain way or the story has been manufactured to elicit this response because of course it's going to be sad that this thing is happening but i nothing none of the the heartbreaking moments in this ever felt cheap no they no they didn't and i could see how someone would maybe think that but no i felt they were very earned and they they took the time with the animation and with the voice acting once again of this young child voicing it makes it all the more painful of having to see this. Um, But no, I feel it was very earned. And they almost immediately come out of it in the next scene. And Mm -hmm. it's like, okay, we're going to remedy this now. We've dipped you again into depression. Um, Where we have the family, we have Tony, we have Bridget, we have Gussie there. (laughs) Because she needs to have an arc. Because it's Madeline Kahn and we've got Madeline Kahn. all, all, All riding Tiger to go find Fievel and finally they hear each other almost miss each other one more time Mm -hmm. and then reunite and even Gussie's hugging tiger at the end is like who knew I'd be hugging a feline so see you mean a feline a feline so she's come around as well I suppose yeah and so we get the well-deserved hard-won happy ending for the Mouskowitzes we assume that the youngest Mouskowitz has been left with a babysitter because the they baby just kind of disappears. Very early on. <laughs> Unless it's the more depressing story, which might be true with a story like this, that the baby died at some point. It's very possible. But we know that the baby made it to Ellis Island because that's, they check in with four people. But maybe that's why when Tanya's like, you know, I think Fievel's alive. And that's why the mom is like, soon you'll just... No, but she's holding the baby. Maybe she's holding a bundle, think like hoping it's wishing it was the baby. We don't know. We don't actually see the baby. I mean, this movie this gets dark. Her, I don't think it gets This could be her way dark. of trying to deal with the, the depression after losing your child. We don't know. Sorry, I mean to sink that for It's me. a happy ending. Nobody because dies. Because then we're back on Except, Henri, yeah. who's flying them through, and you're like, where the fuck were you this whole movie? You just took off to work on your statue, which you know you didn't do shit about. Mm-hmm. But the statue has been completed. Yeah, the Statue of Liberty has been completed. Yay! Happy ending. And that is... Oh, wait, but first they look out and they say, Henry, what's that? It's like, that is more America, which as a kid I always thought they were saying, that is North America. And I was like, you're in North America? What are you looking at? But no, they say it's just more New America. <laughs> and it was like, yeah, it looks like they're just pointing in New Jersey, which is like, oh, I will not take you there, Fabel. I will take you somewhere else, somewhere much better. <laughs> uh, so he flies him away from there. The Statue of Liberty winks at them? Yes. I was like, okay, sure, I guess at this point. There are talking uh, mice to which, in this movie, and to, that's, to, to that's which, what To which Fievel and Tanya turn around, assuming to the audience in New York, saying, like, goodbye. As And then they show a final shot of New York, almost as if to say, get me the fuck out of this city. This place has tried to kill me how many goddamn times I want out. Uh, anywho, yes. And, and that is an American tale. So. Bible gets fucked. <laughs> So, do we want to um, briefly go over, uh, or at least recap, because I think we've talked about a lot about this, mm-hmm. uh, what worked for us and what didn't work for us? Well, we, we brought it up earlier. Why don't we start off with the music? Because I know that that's been, a, that's been a staying point. Yeah. I guess my big thing, this isn't talking about, like, not the, not, not the soundtrack. Um, once again, done by, we, we mentioned it before, James, uh, Horner. James Horner does the music for this, and the music is 
beautiful as as per usual very lovely it took me right back to a nostalgic point of like once again I'm like oh, i remember this music which was pretty incredible to hear so like once again does a stand-up job the song specifically as we've mentioned um for my money you've got obviously somewhere out there you have the big there are no cats in america which is fine like that that establishes yeah. a big thing i'm okay with that and it's also establishing like the pervasiveness of this idea in the world of you know as as wildly as wild as the tone is of that song it it is establishing yeah. something about the world it's st- it still works and then i think the only two other two i can think about are the never say never again and then the we're buds and we're pals and a duo and they have their thing so you have those other two songs so i guess it's not that many songs yeah i but the other two are so just like eh, you don't need them really yeah you really don't and i wish that they're fine but eh. i wish that movies would pick one like either don't be a musical or be a musical like this one couldn't seem to decide no it sort of forgets halfway through and then it'll remember or a new character will get in, uh introduced and then there will be a song and then not in the moments like the tony and bridget meeting where you're like oh this would seem like this would be a song mm-hmm. maybe between them possibly but it's mm-hmm. like but there's nothing there or bridget's speech about what do we do about the cats like that should be a song Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or hell, even 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 Gussie's thing, like, that could be a song. I the don't rally know. should be a yeah. big song. There are moments it's like, yeah, if you want to be a musical, make the it a Wowie. musical. If you want to make the Wowie a musical, make the Wowie a musical. But yeah. like, but don't, yeah, it's, it. the two songs you mentioned that work, the two that were kind of like, eh, they're fine, but whatever. It just does lead to you kind of wondering, like, you couldn't decide whether you wanted to be a musical or not. You chose to strive the, strive the middle and as a result, it, at least for me, was kind of like, eh, not as necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is in the a thing that worked for me. And I, I wasn't sure if it was a thing that worked for me until like we really got to the end. It's, it's weird to say that this is like a sugar-coated view of, of this particular experience. Like, it's absolutely not. And I feel like they try to present it in a way that is honest while still being accessible to children and not like bogging down the story with like the heaviness of like the the truly like brutal reality of you know immigrants during this time period um but it is also a very hopeful idea of what america is and what america can be and as someone who is very very disillusioned with this country um i it was kind of jarring to me a little bit but then i remembered like it's an american tale and they say it at the very beginning it's a fairy tale Mm -hmm. this is the fairy tale version of what america meant and does still mean i think to people around the world of like you can come here and you can you know make your life better and you know it it is a fantasy a lot of the time, but it still holds that power. And like there, um, during the the rally, uh, I think Gussie refers to the still under construction Statue of Liberty. And what was the line? Why are they building that statue? What does it stand for? Oof. And they all start shouting freedom. And it's the movie itself is a fairy tale. It is in the name mm-hmm. of the movie of what it's trying to be. And I think that that's it really succeeds at that. 
I think so, and I think it succeeds in that it is as dark as this movie gets. Um, it is a kids' movie. It's a movie yeah. for kids, and so it's a good intro for kids who maybe haven't learned about this yet to maybe have their first lesson about what this time was like and what these people went through. And if anything, it's like, hey, you know, this is a kids' movie. This is a very different, sanitized version of this that's aimed at kids, but hopefully you watch this and then you do the work when you get older and you do some research because now you're interested and then you learn more about the realities of it and you familiarize yourself with it but you can't get to that point unless you have something to go with from when you were a kid so i think it does do its job in that sense that it's like it's not a movie for adults it's not trying to you know tell us like this is how it actually was because it obviously wasn't yeah it's very much a fairy tale but it's in that fairy tale way of it's just like hey kids like maybe you'll watch this and maybe you'll go and do some research and learn from this and learn what this experience was about a little bit more yeah so if that's the purpose that it's out there for i think that's really a great reason Mm -hmm. to exist Shall we do our revised grades? Yes. Unless there's anything else you want to talk about. Um, I guess we'll talk about it in the revised grades for this, okay. at this point. Um, Great. Why, uh, don't, why don't you start us off? I think, what did I start with? I started with a B minus. B minus. I think I'm going to up it to an A minus. A. And the detractors are sort of what we've talked about, mostly like the, the music and, um, you know, pick a lane, basically. Um and, and sort of coming to grips with, like, my issues I have with this country and, like, the, the, the picture that it paints of America. But also realizing that, like, that is the vision that, that these characters and that, like, actual real-life people have had of this country for a long time and, like, what it's it represents. Um, I don't know. I think it's very well done. And it is both heart-wrenching and heartwarming. And I think it's really sold on the strength of Fievel as a character. Um, Because, again, I'm just repeating stuff that we've talked about, but he is animated so well and he is so expressive. The the voice acting for Fievel specifically is so expressive and so effective. Um, Yeah, it's a good movie, but it might make you cry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yes, I I totally agree with that statement. I think that overall it's, it's a very bold attempt to go for a kids movie with which i applauded for it swings to the fences and it doesn't hold back on a lot of the the kind of the darkness and the scariness of it and there's like as far as looking up on imdb and it's like they're like you know like frightening images is like a mild i'm like i don't know like there's a lot in this but it's good in the sense that it all serves a purpose of like these are your characters having to overcome something in order to achieve their goal and you don't really get behind it unless you are truly terrified of what they have to experience. And so when you have someone like Fievel, who, which, as you said, like incredibly animated, voiced and designed and all of that to really make us sympathize and to have this child have to go through all of that, you can't help but be caught up in that. I think overall, the voice acting was very solid across the board. A lot of people, a lot of just a lot of people that I that I was not familiar with doing incredible work. Of course, when we talked about Neil Ross, talk about Madeline Kahn, of course, just killing it. I think it was John Finnegan, I believe, voiced Warranty Rat, who just does an incredible job. So really solid, solid acting across the board. Um, 
story got a little run together. They'd kind of drop into scenes and run right out of them right away. They have a lot of stuff to get through in an hour 20. It's a very short movie given how much happens. Yeah, which which I would argue is a thing where I'm like, we kind of thought about with Titan AE as well, where it's like, maybe you don't need to do all of this. Maybe like simplify a little bit. Uh, would be my only big thing. Um, of course, with some of the music, like I said, like some of the songs work, some I didn't really care much for. But like, I think my biggest thing overall was just like the pace between the scenes tended to get a little frenetic and a little quick. And they just didn't take the time that you thought they were going to devote to a scene. And they would just want to get to the next one. You're like, whoa, 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 wait, wait, take it easy. That's a minor gripe in there overall. But I think what the film accomplishes and what it does, I think is pretty incredible. Now, even nowadays, looking back on it from like coming out in 86, and it still holds up really well. Um, also, for those keeping track at home, I don't have a budget here for you. The worldwide gross for the film was $84 million, which in 1986 money for a non-Disney animated film was incredible. So, just wanted to let you all know about that. That's Steven Spielberg yep. name. Oh, yeah. Um, but all that to say, I started at a B... I will up this to an A- minus as well. Hey, same grade! A- minus for me. Didn't make a full letter grade jump, but but mm-hmm. enough, I think. I gotta put it in the A category, though. Yeah. Uh, definitely, um, if you've seen this before, it is absolutely worth a rewatch. If you've never seen it, give it a try. I think that... Give it, g- I think give it there, a shot. And there's re- enough and- in it that is so genuine and sincere and... Especially if you have kids in your life. It, mm-hmm. I will say, if you have particularly young kids in your life, um, some of the stuff does get very heavy. It gets um, it so can get just very intense. Proceed with caution. You know your children. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll probably know if, if that kind of emotional maybe heaviness. Give a, maybe give it a viewing beforehand uh, yourself. Yeah, um, but it definitely show it to your kids. Absolutely. And if you are watching it just as an adult, just remember that it is a movie for kids at the end of the day. As dark as it can get, it is a kid's movie. So don't don't judge it for that. If you're wondering, like, well, why did they do that? Like, remember, it's for kids. So keep that in mind. Um, but yeah, recommend, though. I recommend. Alrighty, it is now that oh. time where we plug our socials. Hell yes. So if you uh, want to follow us on social media, we are on Twitter and Instagram at WhatAMoviePod. You can follow me at NicoleKnutson16 on both Twitter and Instagram. And you can follow me at the real J Ferrero. That's real with two E's, and that's Ferrero, as in Ferrero Rocher on Instagram and Twitter. Um, And to give you all a little sneak peek of what the next episode's going to be, all I'm going to say is that we are going to roll back the rock to the dawn of time. (laughs) And it's going to be a fun one. So until then, I'm James Ferrero. I'm Nicole Knudsen. And what What a movie! Oh my god, where's the shirt? <laughs>